0: What up? This is Myron and you are listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast. The alternative, underground, back alley, underbelly, secret society, speakeasy dive bar style podcast of and about and surrounding the Seattle Mariners that you are listening to on the Odyssey app or wherever else you're getting that podcast action from. Where of course you're rating, subscribing, liking, sharing, all that good stuff. You know what? We like five tool baseball players on this podcast. You know what we like more than that? Five-star review. So don't be shy. Go ahead and say hello by giving us that five-star review if you'd like. Or just hit us up or check us out on the socials or at Rye Bread and Mustard Podcast at gmail.com. If you got something strong to say. All right. Now that all of that housework is out of the way, I'm excited about this episode. This episode that you are listening to right now is a part one of a two-part conversation with Seattle's PA announcer, the one and only, the great Tom Hutler. That's right. The man that's been holding down the PA announcer job since 1987. This is the man that's been reading the lineups, the voice to all the emotions of those bigot bats that you hear when you go to a game. You hear the Ken Griffey junior i I'm butchering it, but this is the guy. That's right, this man's been holding that job down since 1987, which is pretty much my entire lifetime of going to games, whether it was at the Kingdom, Safeco Field, and T-Mobile Park. This is the voice from above that... We all know, and if you were making a biopic for me, this would be my Morgan Freeman God, the voice from above. The Akron Beacon Journals called him the voice of God. Also, look, I could just keep on going on and on. Nobody wants to hear me, so I'm going to shut the hell up. But before I do, I want to give a shout out to Shelly, the owner of Murphy's Pub in Wallingford, the oldest still operating irish bar in the city who hooked us up with tom uh of course if you listen to the episodes we uh, recorded a few sessions there on one of the sessions she said she knew tom hutler she goes you should get him for this podcast i said i'd love to get him for this podcast the next day you know, I was talking on the phone with Tom, which was a whole other experience uh, <laughs> hearing that guy's voice on the phone. But he was super generous, sat down with us and talked, and was, again, really generous with his time that we ended up with two episodes. So this is part one. Uh, come back tomorrow for part two. Anyways, I'm going to shut the hell up and get out of the way so you can enjoy the newest episode of the Rye Bread and Mustard, a Mariners podcast with special guest. The one, the only Mr. Tom Hutler that's gonna start right
1: now. Get ready to play hardball in the kingdom.
2: Take me to the ball game. I wanna see the end. Princess Tours, the vacation company,
1: brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego Chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom.
0: And just like you probably heard in the intro, we are extremely excited. Hannah's even a little bit nervous here with our guest. We have the one and only... The voice of God, (laughs) according to the Akron Beacon Journal and me, Mr. Tom Hutler, how are
1: you doing? Doing well, guys. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. uh, So uh, let's just get, let's jump right out of the gate. How are you feeling right now with spring training starting the time of this recording uh, next week? But when we drop this, the first week we're pitchers and catchers report. How are you feeling about uh, this year's uh, team?
1: Uh, I'm really excited and optimistic as I am every year, as most fans are every year, I guess. But um, you know, I think the offseason moves that were made are certainly going to help. But, you know, it's uh, our curse to play in the same division as the Astros. And that is uh, not going away soon. So they're just right now, you know, we finished 16 games behind them in the regular season last year. And then in the playoffs, they've swept us at three games, but the run differential was four. I mean, they've won by four runs for the exactly. entire series. So. Oh. It was that close to being, you know, we played them tougher than anybody else did. But you still got to, you know, it still goes through Houston in the West. So, you know, it's not really uh, something where I don't know that we've made an appreciable enough gain with regard to personnel in the offseason to catch them. But, you know, that's why they play 162 games. Exactly. It all... all, uh, all gets sorted out in the mix by the end of the season, and a lot of strange things happen in a baseball season.
0: So. Yeah, and health. Health's mm-hmm. the big thing, and especially with the Mariners, it's, it seems like there's a lot of emphasis on growth with the, with the, with the uh, younger players right. on the team.
2: Yeah, and I can't remember the last time we had a pitching staff going into spring training that's this solid. Right. The pitching staff, I think, is
1: huge. I think it's one of the top maybe four rotations in the league if not even better and have that all sorted out before you even go into the season uh, with the exception of maybe the number five guy I mean god bless Marco I don't know you know he was an ace number one starting day opening day pitcher for a few years two years three years ago and all of a sudden you know he's on the in the fifth guy in the rotation and kind of trying to hang on to his spot there. exactly uh, that I guess tells you about the quality upgrade they've made Uh, And, you know, you've got guys like Flexen who has started. And then, you know, does uh, Brash come back into starting? And, you know, so there's a few things to be decided there. But certainly those top four are really, really good.
0: Yeah. And Uh, you know what's a shame about how good of pitchers we are? You get to say their name like what? Once. Yeah. Once once a game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Open one now. and, And, yeah, opening lineups and then when they start the games, so. I
0: know. <laughs> I know. It's, you don't get to say, uh, Luis Castillo yeah. too many times. No. So, Cause that seems like that would be a fun one
1: to yeah, announce. for sure.
0: Um, so obviously you were there for the 18 inning game. How mm-hmm. did, how did, how did, how did that, how'd that feel,
1: uh, up there? Where was your energy level? How was the voice? It was, uh, you know, if it had been a regular season game against Cleveland on a Wednesday night, it probably <laughs> would have been a little different energy level. Um, I get up at 4 a.m. to go to work for a radio station, KNWN, Northwest Radio News Radio here in Seattle, and so that would have been hanging over my head the entire time, <laughs> like, oh, my God, I got to get up in five hours. So, uh, uh, But it was so intense and so nail-biting and because you knew that one swing of the bat could potentially end it, and, and uh, eventually it did, but <laughs> yeah. it, it was... Like, who, you know, how can they continue to throw up zeros with two teams like this that have so many offensive weapons, especially Houston? And um, we were just counting on, you know, getting that, you know, in the bottom of an inning, coming up and somebody getting a home run or at least getting some guys on base and moving them over and getting them in. So uh, every inning that went along, I was supposed to have gone to see a buddy of mine's band play that night at 7 o'clock. The Husky game came and went during the yep, during that, it sure did. and I'm a Cougar fan, so I watched the start of the Cougar game. Going, I wanted to be home to watch this and then go to my buddy's band. I was like, that would should have been, you know, done by five o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> and it just went on and on and on and on and on. It was uh, just kind of at the end of it, we all were kind of like just um, emotionally dry yes. because it was so emotionally involved throughout the game that when it finally ended, it was like, uh, you know, that that didn't turn out the way we wanted. It was an amazing game, uh, but, you know, it was one of those things where you just felt like everybody was so emotionally involved with it, including the fans who stuck oh, around, yes. which was...
0: It was emotional. It was just emotionally draining. It felt more like an event, like a football mm-hmm. game with the crowd. Everybody was on it every inning. You know, people were – the libations were going before the game. Last call happens, you know, Seven, at yeah, <laughs> seventh like inning. And, 11 but, innings without
1: beer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was.
0: And CJ, who does this show, is not here. He's down in Arizona right now. He's a snowbird. But he had tickets to the cracking game that night, stayed until the end, ran down to the uh, – ferry docks and caught one of those scooters and scootered Uh up for the second half of the game i've never mentioned that on the podcast that so that's i think i think that is a savage story of fandom Fandom, here uh also i you guys had some guests up there in the booth that night i noticed macklemore came in there at one point and, and and tried to pump up the crowd
1: yeah yeah it's uh we're we're throwing everything we could at it and uh he couldn't quite get the job done, but he, he's, been, <laughs> he's been very involved in, and a oh, big fan. absolutely. So it's absolutely. been really cool to have him around.
0: Speaking of Macklemore, asked him the hard-hitting, hard-copy question. Hey, Macklemore, what do you think about Louie uh, Louie being uh, no more and your song being in there? And I didn't think he would answer me. We have it on our, our Instagram, but hard-hitting question. What do you think
1: about it, Tom? Uh, I never liked Louie Louie. <laughs> So I was fine with it. Um, I I mean, I just, you know, grew up, that song had already been a hit before I was in my teens, I think, but... um, but I just was never a fan of that song and I kind of wonder why do we play this? But, uh, there you go. Uh, so yeah, I was fine with the Macklemore change.
0: Yeah. He, he asked me, he goes, do we make the playoffs? <laughs> and I said, yeah. He goes, did we make the playoffs? Yeah. And he goes, well, there's your yeah, answer. There's and your I answer. said, well, you changed my mind <laughs> because you know, obviously I've been a Macklemore fan. I am from that age group, but I do like a, certain traditions mm-hmm. in baseball yeah. and certain traditions in sports. And, that was kind of our sweet
1: Caroline. Would, right. But
0: I do have to admit, it gets the crowd amped up, and especially on a night like that, mm-hmm. you need that level in the crowd.
1: Yeah, and I'm and I and I'm a very much, as anybody that knows me will tell you, I'm a very traditional, old-school guy. But that one I didn't mind because it didn't seem that traditional to me, even though it had been around for a long, long time uh, in a seventh-inning stretch. I just thought, I, you know, that's not – that would be – for me, you know, cutting out the seventh inning stretch or taking out of the ball game—that would be the, you know, the blasphemy. Yeah. Not the loss of Louis Louis. So. Um,
0: and he's a guy who reps the city hard. Like Kingsman, sure. you have to go and Google. Oh yeah, somebody was from Seattle or something. It's like Mclemore is wearing a Seahawks hat, a Sonics coat, mm-hmm. Mariners shoes, yeah. Huskies warm-up pants. You know what? Yeah. You know what he's all about. Yeah.
1: So yeah, and it's definitely a, a different energy level than Louis Louis was. so
0: for a lot of our listeners, I have some people are on the East coast. Some people are in California. Some people haven't been lucky enough to make it to a Mariners game. You know, I meet people too, you know, going to road games and stuff that they're like, Oh, I got to get up there someday. So they don't know a lot about you. They haven't had the pleasure of, of you know, hearing God's voice, uh-huh. the God of the Mariners voice. So let's just take it back. And, uh, let's just go back to your early beginnings of like how you got to hear.
1: Um, Well, I've been in the radio business since I was a a senior in high school over in Spokane, and I was in the top 40 radio business and um, matriculated from a station called KJRB to KJR, which at the time were AM top 40 giants, but kind of on the downward slope of AM radio, of AM top 40 radio. And... um, so after about a year and a half at KJR, I went to the part of the genesis of, of KUBE. I was on the uh, first staff there. I was the music director. Wow! And um, Charlie Brown was our morning guy, yep, and, and our
0: all these guys.
1: And <laughs> our uh, and our program director. So we were literally putting that thing together. You know, dubbing albums onto tapes. Uh, you know, we have we had cartridges that we played from at the time, and so it was really fun putting that together. And after I'd done that for a few years. Uh, I, started, I had always been a Mariner fan, and I would always go to games, and then uh, they had a uh, guy that had been doing the PA for quite some time, named Gary Spinell, and he got, for whatever reason, I can't recall exactly why, but he had to miss a few games and asked if I would fill in, oh. just because I knew a couple of guys in their marketing department, and so I filled in a couple of games, and that was fun, and that was where I thought it would end, and he ended up getting a job in Atlanta with CNN. And so then they asked me if I'd like to take over permanently, and so I started in '87 uh, as the the guy doing the PA most games, every game, and uh, so 30. Well, it'll be 37 years this year. So people ask how long you want to do it, and I always say, well, I'd like to do it till we win a World Series. But Dave Niehaus wanted the same thing, and it didn't work out so well for him on on that regard. So I'm hoping that I have the longevity to be able to do that, and I wish Dave could have been around for even this past year he would have he would have gone nuts oh uh, man absolutely exciting finishes his last year so but uh yeah so that that's kind of the the story in a nutshell well
0: we need you longer than the world series because we're going to win it this year we need you (laughs) (laughs) you for more because once we win it this year we're going to be like we'll be blaming you if you if, (laughs) if, if if we don't if we don't do it so in, in your radio early radio days, before you went to do news, you obviously were at Cube, which is a staple of ours, and uh, let's not forget KPLZ, which yeah. I always called the VH1 of, of Seattle. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you did a lot of uh, parody mm-hmm. of songs. Um, I know off the top of my head, you did the Raider, Busters, uh, you did uh, The Greatest Lunch of All. <laughs> Uh, See, you've
1: done your homework. Yeah,
0: uh, well, I remember some. Of I recorded some of these when I was a young kid, and, and I've done a little bit of homework. Okay. Yeah. I did my homework. Nobody believes I ever do my homework. I did it. <laughs> Tom Hutler <laughs> said it right here. Um, uh, you also did, recently, you did the Gardner Menchu, the mustache. Oh, yeah,
1: Mississippi mustache, yeah. And,
0: uh, of course, La Bosworth
1: to La Bamba. Uh, yeah. So,
0: I know <laughs> you can get these on YouTube. I'll probably put these uh, somewhere on the episode. When you write these things, you always... There's one little hook that you grab on to go. All right, that that's it. That's how we build off of that. Could you just let us into your mind on like maybe the Bosworth or the greatest lunch of all?
1: Yeah. Um, the the greatest lunch of all was actually inspired by my daughter, who was very young at the time of that came out, and she thought instead of uh, Whitney Houston saying they can't they can something something and that they can't take away my dignity. She was thinking. They said, "I can't take away my BLT." <laughs> 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 and I thought that's kind of funny. And then I, that was what built. That's what spawned that for me was building around. Then I said, "The greatest lunch of uh, all." There's another one uh, that you didn't mention that was probably the biggest that I did. It was called "We Love It in Seattle." Oh yes, which was to the tune of "We Didn't Start the Fire," and that was actually at the request of my boss at Cube, who was uh, huge into Seattle history, and I only came to Seattle in 1979. So a lot of the things he wanted to incorporate, you know, if you're familiar with the Billy Joel song, it's kind of a little history lesson. And so a lot of the things that he wanted me to include in this song were people or events that I really wasn't familiar with. So there's got you know, Dick Balsh, and it was a car dealer. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that was happening through those years in Seattle, I had to kind of bone up on that to make sure I knew and included it and included it in context and then trying to make it all rhyme um that was a tough that's to write. the hardest part right? yeah so um that one La Bosworth. yeah I just I, I heard LaBamba and then he was all the rage right then when he came to Seattle and was fighting over the oh, jersey yeah. number and and I um, had
0: a Bosworth haircut did you really yeah my dad hated it not how it looked <laughs> but how much he had to pay for it
1: <laughs> but uh yeah um those were fun to do, Raider Busters. Yeah. Um, Street Money Blues. Street Money Blues. That was an original that we wrote and about our sticker giveaway that we had. We had the cube sticker, and so people were looking for that. We had a guy named Truck Rogers who was searching for the stickers on your car, and so I just you know wrote that from the aspect of yeah. somebody who could never get pulled over in no a matter if he was right in front of Truck Rogers.
2: Baseballs out a sight. Every kid who's fourteen and London, we want to come to check it out. Get a free check, get a free jacket. get a free jacket. get a free jacket.
0: You also have a background in uh coaching mm-hmm. baseball.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I coached, uh, I coached CYO, you know, Catholic youth organization for a long time with my daughters through basketball and soccer, and then uh, my son playing baseball, and then uh, I got asked one year to coach the freshman team at O'Day, and I did that for a year, and then my kids were going to Seattle, my daughter were going to Seattle Prep, and the coach at Seattle Prep saw me coaching against... I got Seattle Prep's uh, freshman team uh, for O'Day, and he says, "Doesn't your daughter go to prep?" And I go, "Yeah." And he <laughs> said, "Why don't you coach for us?" I said, "Well, you didn't ask me." Tampering—that's tampering me. So, right there. Yeah. <laughs> so I started at prep and was there for 13 years, either either the head JV coach or varsity assistant or both.
0: What years were you there?
1: You know, I don't even—I I think I uh, must have started in 2000. Um, right around 2000, probably oh, to, so to about 2013. Just missed me and Hannah.
0: Yeah, you, you're lucky. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but I think it would be cool if you're a coach, just going, "Hey, all right, here's the starting lineup." Do you, <laughs> did you ever have to read the lineup off? And did you put a little? put a little elbow um, grip? Yeah, did you put a little ump, put a little spice
1: on it? Uh, no, I just was, you know, worried about getting all the stuff ready for the game as, as a coach, you know, making sure we, you know, got out there and hit the fungos and ran through infield and outfield practice and got the lineups and gave them to the umpire, and, you know, that was, it's, coaching baseball in Seattle is a pretty thankless task at this, you know, if I'm looking out yeah. the window right now, I've seen it rain. A
0: lot of practices
1: in the gym. Yeah, so it's like, man, you're sitting down at third base shivering and thinking, <laughs> if, they, if they call this game off, I'm not going to be uh, upset at all, <laughs> yeah. so um, thank God high school is yeah. only seven innings. Yeah, yeah. so, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And I also ended up coaching girls um, basketball at prep too, so that was I really enjoyed that a lot because with the girls, uh, you know, Seattle prep at that time was going through a run of really really good boys teams that won won a couple state championships during that time. The girls were also very competitive as well, but I just enjoyed it from the aspect that it was they had to play fundamentally sound. They couldn't jump out of the gym and they couldn't slam dunk and they couldn't, you know, uh, rifle the ball, you know, all the way down the court on a, on a pass. And so they were really uh, eager to, to learn the fundamentals. and It was fun to teach them that stuff, too. That was a lot of fun.
2: The World Series, where a pitch is not just a pitch. It's
1: a World Series pitch where a hit is not just a hit it's a world series hit a win is not just a win it's a world series win now you've got a chance to win a trip to the 1984 world series by entering major league baseball's
2: grand slam sweepstakes at all major league ballparks and participating retailers baseball favor catch it the preceding message was furnished by major league baseball
0: but uh, Hanno, you got you got some questions. I know you got a bunch of questions. You're really excited about this. Let's let's hear them.
2: Yeah. So, did you have anybody influence you and in, in your style? I know you got a distinctive style when you announce the names. You know, you got your energy towards the Mariners, and then how your tone changes when it goes now the visiting team managed right. by yes. manager Dusty Baker. You know, it's it's really I, I'm interested by that it. somber voice. Yeah. Is,
0: is definitely underrated.
1: Yeah, I uh, I don't know that anybody really influenced me other than perhaps Bob Shepard from the Yankees, who was, and I don't really, I don't, I never really tried to replicate what he did, but he, to me, uh, had this incredible gravitas and this incredible presence um, as the Yankees guy. But he was so simple; it was like you know, it was just there was no bells and whistles. It was just basically the batter number twenty two. You know, da-da-da. Derek Jita. Derek Jita, number 22, you know. So so good. Uh, so I always thought that would be the guy I would want to pattern myself after. Um, but, yeah, you're right about the thing. I don't – was never asked to do this or instructed to do this, but when it comes to the, okay. the energy that I put into the home team and then the somber way that I announced the visiting team – I just felt that was the way to do it, just because you don't want to act like you're excited to hear those no. guys are here. But you're and, still professional. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, the other thing, too, is if we got a guy that comes back that played for us the first time or two up, I'll say his in a little more uh, welcoming manner than I will the rest of their team. So, if like, you know, when we had Raul Abanias back, I would say his name as I announced it when he was with the Mariners or something like that. But, uh, you know, sometimes these guys come back or like Nelson Cruz or they are fan favorites. How about
0: stuff. Ichiro? I mean he went yeah. from one dugout to the other the yeah. next day. So yeah. did you have to just
1: yeah, drop toned, your act and pick I, up the new one? I toned it down a little bit, but you know, for the first times that the first times that he was up, I definitely kept the energy level up. Not to the degree it would if he had been still with the Mariners, but still definitely, you know, if the Mariners if the way I announced him at the Mariners was a level eight. I probably did a level six for him when, <laughs> when he was uh, coming up as a Yankee and stuff. So,
2: Well, the Mariners do such a great job, you know, with opening day. I love how they, now they've incorporated the Mariners Hall of Fame. It's so special to me, like this last year when Ichiro was um, placed in the Mariners Hall of Fame, and for me to hear, you know, you mentioned – your iconic here, Griffey Jr., you know, Jamie Moyer, and of course, like you just mentioned, Raul Ibanez wasn't involved, but he was off to the side, and to hear you announce their names, it, mm-hmm. it brings back a lot of memories oh, for yeah. Mariner fans.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Griffey is, you know, people run into me, and you know, this, you know, they'll find out what I do, and they say, oh, can you do Ken Griffey Jr.? It's like, I want. Uh, there was one time I came out of a I'd been in a, a watering hole in West Seattle <laughs> watching some some game and somebody and, and this guy had been overserved, and I came out I came out of the restaurant and he goes you're the you're the Mariner guy I go yeah and he goes could you do Ken Griffey Jr. and I said okay so I did it and he goes you're a great man <laughs> I love it <laughs> that's all it takes <laughs>
0: uh, speaking of Griffey I, I did hear on one of the podcasts uh, I believe it was the the soul the soul man well Seattle oh sorry it's the Seattle uh uh, sports Union, uh, you talked about. I think they asked you, was there a time where it was hard to hold back emotions? I mean, us as fans, we get to be wild. We can let it loose. Uh, you, were, you were mentioning when Griffey came back. I couldn't remember if it was when he came back as the Reds Red or when Reds. he came back as the Mariners. Where it, it was, you were feeling it. You had yeah. the feelings.
1: Yeah, it was. And I and I was in the clubhouse before the game in the Reds clubhouse. And I just said, you know, I'm not gonna really be able to give you the whole Ken Griffey Jr. treatment this time. And he goes, I oh, know, that's awesome. I know. <laughs> I said, I mean, you know, we all love you, but you're now the enemy. So, uh, <laughs> but it was—I uh, I still kind of—I the first time out, I said, I just gotta do it like I do it all. You know, did it yeah. all the years he was with. I had to do it. So uh, then it was like kind of gradually dial it back, and he ended up having a great series. Oh, he did. I have a little project well once again edgar martinez is using eagle hardware's incredible selection of brand name power tools for his latest project and uh, here's a surprise uh, for once it's not a bat oh it is a bat
2: it's a light bat
1: eagle hardware and garden more of everything
0: the ninjas here. He's part of part of our staff while we're here. You had a question for him that you asked me to ask, but I want you to ask it.
2: Oh, it was, oh I just wanted to hear any like uh, good stories about Dave Niehaus. Mm. You know, if you have any like stories, you could bring up. Yeah, and share with the crowd.
1: Well, first of all, he was he was as good as it gets, and um, was very gracious to me, and. You know, he suffered just as much as the fans did. You know, it was... We could tell. It it was apparent. I I was talking to this, saying this to somebody the other day about Rick Riz is perennially upbeat, optimistic. Yep. The sun will come up tomorrow, if not like in in an hour. And so, (laughs) and, you know, so Rick is so, you know, very, very optimistic. And Dave would let it kind of... He, you know, he he kind of wears emotions on his sleeve during a game. It's like, you know, if somebody made a mistake or gave up a, you know, bases loaded walk or failed to get a bunt down. You know, you could hear it in his voice. He wasn't sugarcoating it, and um, but he was he was so good at making a game that was a blowout loss <laughs> sound like it was the most important game in the world, just the way he would talk about maybe the fact that they'd gone to the. You know, World War Two museum, or some some something oh, yeah. that was in the city they were visiting, or even just down in Arizona during spring training about something they did during the day. He was just so good at weaving stories and making them, you know, part of the game, even though they weren't part of the game. It was more of a way to just keep the listener interested, and I, I think there's an art to that that, you know, a lot of the guys today don't have um, that that certain. Uh, flair for that.
0: And the storytelling is now. It's a lot of a lot of numbers, a lot yeah. of analytics.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, some of the stories I probably wouldn't be able to tell uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and get away with it. But uh, he he definitely was colorful. He was definitely um, uh, you know just a great family guy. His wife Marilyn and their kids and. Um, Marilyn and I are Facebook friends, so she'll always make a comment on like my grandkids or something like that. But um, when he <clears throat> when he passed, it would hit me really, really hard. Yeah, and I Kevin Kremen, who's the longtime producer and engineer for the broadcasts, you know, he was with Dave through the whole the whole shooting match, and um, it was tough for guys like Dave, like Kevin, who you know, they were like partners, business partners for seven months out of the year. Yeah, so. That became like their second family for all those guys, and so, and Dave was, you know, so well respected in the business by other um, broadcasters and other teams. So you could tell that he had, even though he was working in a smaller market, that he was definitely big league all the way. By the way, you could see him treated. I, in I think it was two thousand two through two thousand six. I was at Como Radio, and we had the broadcast rights for those four four or six years. And so I had to go down to spring training and cover the team during spring training, which was great, but I'd get to sit in the booth with him because I wasn't doing the public address announcing there. So I'd get to sit in the booth with him during the game, and then once the starting pitcher got uh, taken out, I'd go to the clubhouse and get some audio with them. Um, But, uh, you know, it would be Guys coming in and that were not even on the roster, and numerically, and it's like guys coming in to pitch. And you're like, "Yeah, oh, they got you know 72." Now John Jones coming in, and he te- turned the mic off and he goes, "Who the hell is this?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, what the fans he, are doing at home. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't, you know, he's like definitely had some
0: Harry Doyle from uh, yeah, Major League for sure. in, in him. Yeah,
1: yeah. So yeah, he is a great. I, I'm I miss him every every year, and and he does that. Uh, Welcome back, baseball poem that he reads at the beginning of every year, and I tear up every year at that.
2: That is, yeah. I, I know. I was going to ask you about that. I know um, at the beginning of a year. Also, the Mariners do a great job have a young child come out from Make a Wish and run the bases. That must be one of the more heart wrenching things yeah. that you have to talk about. But it's so special and so cool. What yeah, it is.
1: Do. It is really cool. In the first year they did it, um, I didn't know that we were going to continue to do it every year. I thought it was maybe just part of the opening of that of that particular season since it was the first season and i'm so glad they've kept it in and it's it's uh you know been really cool uh when when we had you know jay and and dan and junior and those guys would you know come out of the dugouts and wait for the kid coming home and yeah i mean that just super emotional super uh you know just a, a great feeling and Again, you know, you're right, the Mariners do a great job of producing these games and putting the, the pregame stuff together and the in-game stuff together. They've won awards that they give out. There's an award they give out, kind of like a, you know, a Grammy or an Emmy, and they do it in for, for game presentation and sports franchises, and the Mariners uh, perpetually win those awards.
2: Major League Baseball presents Big League Tips. Here's how to figure an earned run average. First of all, take the total number of earned runs that you've allowed, say 20, you divide that by the number of innings that you've pitched, let's say 80. Now, that'll give you a
1: figure, 80 into 20, of 0. .250. Now, you take 0. .250, multiply that
2: by 9 to give you a number of runs per 9 inning. This would be 2.25. An ERA of that, you'd be pitching awfully well. Baseball fever. Catch it. Major League Baseball.
1: Two, two quick stories. I uh, I don't know if your homework revealed this, but I actually called. I actually did play-by-play for two games.
0: Back oh, I in, did not get that. Back,
1: I can't... It was in the kingdom and um, they Randy Adamack, who just retired as their longtime uh, vice president of marketing uh, and communications, asked me one time, would you want to fill in? Dave's taking the day off, and would you want to do the game? And I, I did it with uh, Ken Levine.
0: Oh, yeah, Ken Levine. I remember.
1: And, uh, and I said, "Yeah, that'd be great." But then I was like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" I'm so nervous. It's like, not only am I doing a major league baseball game, but I'm doing it with, in place of Dave Niehaus for the day. And it turned out we were playing Cleveland, and Charlie Nagy of the of the uh, Indians had a no hitter going through like five innings. And uh, Kremen, Kevin Kremen goes, "That was his Dave." He said, "If he goes one more inning." He's coming in from his barbecue to come in and call the end of the game because he doesn't <laughs> want to miss calling a no-hitter. I said, "He's that's fine. So he ended up giving up the no-hitter and then uh, filled it another time and worked with Dave. And so that was just amazing, you know, to hear him say, now you're for the third inning you're still Mettler. I'm going, <laughs> yeah. See, it was just uh, just a humbling experience and very, very, I mean, very memorable for me. I mean, I finally got around to listening to the air checks of that Um Last summer, because uh, I had told somebody about it, and they go, "No, you didn't." I said, "Yeah, I did. I, I'll find the tape. I'll prove it to you." So <laughs> yeah, um, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So I don't think I did bad, but you know, um, it was uh, it was really fun. And um, the other quick Dave story I was going to mention was that uh, when I was with Como and we had the broadcast rights, we were. Uh, depending on who was doing the post game show, it was either me or Tom Glasgow at the time, who does a lot of the stuff for Root Sports now. But they would kick it back to us in the studio for a sports update from other sports at the end of the eighth inning, I think it was. And so um, the, uh, Kevin Kremen would hand a card. You know, do you hand a card for any little, any little reads that Dave was doing or Rick or anybody? A card that would say, you know, it was like a, a plug for whatever one of the sponsors was. But this particular card he would hand to Dave and it would say, and now let's go back to our flagship station, KOMO, for an update with Tom Hutler." So that's the only reason we can think that this happened. But when it did happen, um, he came back from the break and I can't remember the Angels pitcher. Scott Shields? Steve Shields? Scott Shields? Scott Shields. Scott Shields. He goes, oh, nah, all right, we're back. It's now Scott Shields is here to face Tom Utler, And I <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, boy, he, he'd like to face Tom Nice, <laughs> yeah. But I just thought, what the heck? So I, Krevin said, the only thing I can think of is that he just had seen your name on that card. And it was just in his mind when he went back to call the game. But I thought, I've had that on tape somewhere. And now it, it, we had a big crash of our system that had all of our audio in it. So I, it's no more. It is no more unless, you know, Kevin knew what particular game it was which wouldn't surprise me but uh that was yeah tom hutler got the bat in the big leagues dave nehouse said it there it was <laughs> that, that,
0: that is great hano had a question about uh, basically like what's your setup what's your day-to-day like pre-game what's what's that like right
2: Hanno? yeah like i mean you got a friday night 705 start against the rangers T- tell us how your day goes before an opening pitch
1: well, you know, uh, a lot of people think that I have to get there really, really early, and I, I, I don't. I mean, the only thing is in the first game of a series, I will sometimes go in just to get to the uh, uh, opponent's broadcast team to find out for sure how names are pronounced, because sometimes they'll have things written out phonetically. They have a pronunciation guide for all the big league names, but sometimes those don't do it justice, or sometimes I would ask the player directly Um just because I wanted to get it right for them. And so uh, I'd get there a little early to go over that with them. Now most of the teams are doing a really cool thing. It's a great service for us, for the PA announcers and broadcasters, is that they actually ask anybody that's got a name that's, you know, even modestly confusing or uncertain, they'll ask them to just say their name into a microphone, and then they have that accessible to us with a, you know, click of a mouse. How's this guy say his name? So when you hear how he says it, doesn't necessarily how match up with the way that you're, you know, the public relations department said that you're, uh, that they're pronounced. So, um, but basically for a seven ten start, we usually start our pregame about 6.40 for a game that's a 710 so about a half hour before first pitch, we start if there's a special night like, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame nights or, um, you know, Native, Salute to Native American Baseball or right. uh, one of those nights where you have a little more involved pregame show then we'll start earlier but I get there generally if I we have a media meal that we can have so generally I maybe get there around six go have a quick dinner at six fifteen, get up to the booth and you know go over anything that needs to go over if there's a certain presentation being done or a new feature being done they want me to you know view that and go over it to hit you know timing and all yeah. that kind of stuff and uh, but it's pretty low-key for me uh, all the guys that are up there there's a it's like a huge production. There's, you know, cameras and uh, the people that do all the stats and the people that uh, input all the information that goes up on the Mariners' vision screen with regard to stats and upcoming games and injuries and all that kind of thing. So those guys really get there quite a bit earlier.
0: So you got to get there early if they're doing the pop fly challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah pop fly <laughs> with a catch. Yeah, that is fun. I actually love it. Love the work with that. The yeah. the whole pop fly challenge thing.
1: Well, that's another thing where it was kind of a Harry Doyle moment for me because,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, we've well, got a. Kid out there, it's like six years old. he's like this guy's dad never played catch with him. You can tell this guy's got no shot. And, yeah. and uh, one time, you know, it's like, oh god, nice try, Timmy. Here's pop line number three. And then I turned the mic off and said, "This a, a couch has a better chance yeah. of catching that than especially
0: he does. in the kingdom, yeah. right? Like, yeah. how many even um, take that? A kid who isn't playing catch with his dad, and then you throw him in in there yeah. with that roof, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So." Like,
0: make sure you signed a waiver, yeah, right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> NBC Sports presents the 1979 All-Star Game from Seattle's Kingdom. It's the All-Stars of the National League versus the best of the American League. The 1979 All-Star Game is brought to you by Chrysler Corporation. See the mileage makers at your Dodge or Chrysler Plymouth dealers. And by the newest member of Gillette's All-Star Team, Foamy Tropical Coconut Shave Cream. Every shave is like a trip to the tropics. And by the Miller Brewing Company, brewers of Miller High Life. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. And by Polaroid, makers of the SX-70 Sonar, the world's smartest camera.
0: You were also uh, talking, you know, about the kingdom Obviously, you've been around since the kingdom days. Mm-hmm. and. hmm uh, Hanson and I consider ourselves dome rats. That's actually <laughs> what we were going to call this podcast when we first did That's this check. Uh, but I really like to hold on to the culture of the kingdom. Uh, do you have any of your favorite stories from the kingdom or
1: Well, I mean, there was a time we had an earthquake and everything started swaying and moving, you know, I could feel our our box was our booth was cantilevered out over um, that stands below us, and you could feel this swaying. It's like, what happened? There's an earthquake, and so we—they were going to evacuate the building. So I was like, getting up to go and leave. They go, no, you can't go. You got to do. The, you got to read these. Safety things. <laughs> it's like, what do you think they're gonna do? I, they know to get the hell out. Right? So
0: <laughs> do we need to tell them that there's smoking's only on the exterior ramps? Yeah, yeah,
1: no signs of affection. Yeah,
2: yeah. I don't think we're
1: worried about that right now. Um, and Dave, Dave came shooting past. He signed off and was, yeah, I'm getting the hell out of here. So I'm going. Wait, I'm the only one here, and they're like, they're leaving, and they know they need to leave and get out in an orderly fashion, you know. And so uh, that was interesting. And uh, obviously, you know, the 95 season was just a, a I mean, continual.
0: People don't understand how crazy that, that was. Yeah,
1: it just continued to get, like, more odds-defying as the season went on. And um,
0: I mean, was your, what, during 95, especially Game 5, maybe Game 4, when that's when Edgar hit the Grand Slam. I mean, I remember Buck Showalter when he was, Managing the, the Yankees. And that's what's so interesting about that game, too, is how many people are future Hall of Famers are, mm-hmm. and p- p- potential Hall of Famers, all-stars were on both of those lineups. But how loud and, and you could feel the shake. I know people talk about the beast quake with Marshawn yeah. Lynch, but that was something else. I mean, I was there game five. My, I, I skipped school. Yeah. I was in my freshman year, and I skipped school, I believe.
1: The double was so... You know, it's so etched in my mind, and the thing that I remember most about it is that Junior, I'd never seen him run that fast. Nah, I yeah. looked at the ball and I looked up to see where he was, and I thought he'd be right, right around second base, and he was already close to third, and was just flying. I mean, just absolutely flying. And um, as the more you know, you're kind of looking at sizing up in your little mental computer of like, is he going to make it? And it's like he's going to make it. And uh, and then when he slid home, and everybody went nuts. It was just like we, there was the guy that works with me in the booth who still works with the Mariners today, Greg Green, He's our vice president of marketing. Um, but we like just did this little mini pig pile in the in the booth that we were in because you know there was nothing I needed to say yeah. for several minutes because it would just let let the crowd do this, and um, it was so fun. And you know, and then you fast forward to this year when Cal Raleigh hit that walk-off. I think that was the only thing that could ever have competed yeah, that's with that it. double. Exactly. Yeah.
0: What up? This is Myron. Sorry to pause the conversation until tomorrow, but you're just going to have to wait. But we will be back with episode two of our conversation with Seattle Mariners PA announcer, Tom Hutler, right here on the Odyssey app or wherever else you're getting your podcast action from. And if you're looking to see Tom you know in person before the season make sure to get over to murphy's pub in wallingford on 45th it's right there on 45th and meridian tom will be there with his band high cheese on march 25th or check him out on cameo that's right he's on cameo doing some fun stuff great for birthday presents anniversaries you know kick off to a season uh graduations all the above if you're looking for the charge from Hanno, you got to come back for episode two. Anyways, we'll be back tomorrow with part two of our conversation with Seattle Mariners PA announcer, Mr. Tom Hutler.